Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Pan Lagos Foundation. Pan Lagos is based in New York City, and they are a nonprofit cultural organization founded on the ideals of Hellenism, dedicated to the betterment of humanity by supporting intercultural dialogue and exchange through the Hellenic language, education, and ideals, providing opportunities for the pursuit of excellence to individuals of all ages and backgrounds, bringing the wisdom of the past in dialogue with the present. We aim to inspire a happier, healthier humanity for today and the future. Welcome to another episode of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. Well, this is episode 10. Maybe from this point, you should be doing the introduction so that people don't just have to hear my voice. You know you're the organized one. I would just screw it up. But what if I just direct you and say, you try. Here, PJ, give it a try. This this is how it would come out. Hey, welcome to All Things Bigfoot. This is the old podcast that's dedicated to all things about Bigfoot. Bigfoot contact stories bigfoot friendships uh the the uh films about bigfoot the in search of episode in the 70s about bigfoot that's all we talk about bigfoot it's true that if you remember in episode five pj was talking about that if we had if he had his way that uh we would be doing a podcast all about bigfoot i'm obsessed with bigfoot that was a fun episode episode five that was when you named our um ice cream from ben and jerry's because of netflix what were you going to call it (laughs) <laughs> something tubby and skinny uh, tubby and skinny or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah that was funny yeah but the thing is is we seem like an unlikely pair to be talking about uh love and romance on a podcast right why i wouldn't say that we're giving relationship advice but we're no. just like we're staying clear of that because obviously if it took us 20 years to actually yeah, get married don't listen to us we are not the people you want to be <laughs> want to go about it the long way <laughs> the long difficult route The reason that we are doing this podcast is we did write this manuscript together called Nancy and PJ Learn French. And that's that whole process came during COVID. Um, We were no longer in France able to really do too much. We were allowed to go out for one hour for one kilometer on your own. And PJ and I, up to that point, were really used to doing a lot of swim running together outside the apartment. We had lots of things that we did together. The big surprise for me when we were doing swim running is how close it brought us together as a couple, because you do have to work as a team, but also you can be so angry at the other person and that it teaches you how to sort of get over that anger. You can also <laughs> learn to tired. You can, uh, learn to roll your eyes while wearing yes, swim goggles. goggles. Yeah. Yes. But no, it was really, it was something that brought us so much closer yeah. and that was kind of removed from our lives and changed our habits a little bit. And we ended up writing this, this yeah, manuscript. And I, I also, I missed that doing that thing that sort of was a project uh, that brought us, you know, had another level to our relationship. Yeah, no, that was really, really important. And because we, had an editor that was guiding us through this manuscript. The idea was that PJ and I would start on the same day. We'd start writing about the, the day we met and we would end up on the day that we got married, but we didn't work together when we actually wrote the 20 years in between. 
And one of the cool things that we had to do at the beginning um, was we had to, I think we had 10 minutes or something, and we were, we had to write in that time all of these memories that happened in those 20 years. And it could, didn't necessarily have to be that they were about each other, but just the standout memories of 20 years. And you stick the stick it note on the wall. And then you kind of, after the 10 minutes are up, you look and discuss and what points you're going to keep. And, and as you write in the process, you take those stick it notes, stick it notes, sticky notes, post it notes, post it notes down off the wall. And that was really cool. And we didn't engage upon this because we think that we're so great and we have the answers to all relationships. I mean, we're, we're not the people to give relationship no, advice. Do not take my <laughs> advice on relationships. Nobody. No. Whether 20 years, yeah. 13 year old, 13 years old or 93. Don't listen to me about relationships. But but people had heard our story and encouraged us to write about it because it had one element that sort of struck everyone no matter what gender, no matter what age and that was there was hope. And people love a good romance. Would you say that, PJ? Um based on what you watch a lot of Netflix and Disney yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah, I mean even myself who I'm not one who really tuck into a harlequin romance uh but i do love w- watching love is blind uh and i uh, haven't watched the bridgertons but that's very popular on netflix from what i hear but the thing i loved about when we were working on the book was not not only that it was that sort of team exercise that replaced swim running but i love the fact that we were so convinced that we had the same version of different events and then when we were talking about it how completely different your version of something was than my version of something was. That's what I found really, really interesting. For, for me, the terrifying part was not only that, that how different our versions were, but how different my memory was, yes. what from actually yeah. happened in my written yeah. word. Yeah. Um, because I, I chose the narration that I wanted yeah. um, and for sympathy. <laughs> that as well, like because you have these journals that are literally sort of day-by-day written history of your time. I sort of had mixed things up in my own history of like, well, no, that happened this and that. But yeah, to see that sort of how you remember things to me was really fascinating because you're convinced of, no, no, this is the way it happened. But then when you see the facts, you're like, well, well and uh, yeah. And also it doesn't really matter if you're right or wrong. The no. idea is that you're just trying to, to figure it out. But the cool thing is, is that, that we did get this manuscript and it's such a rewarding feeling to finally get that last edit done and people have, you know, looked at it, beta readers and all of that stuff. And it's unnerving now to try to be looking for a publisher. But here's some encouraging news. Romance and saga fiction in Britain rose by 110% in three years, which is the highest in a, in a decade, according to the Nielsen book data. And in the US, romance increased in one year, 52.4%, um, according to NPD BookScan. This is all romance fiction, but that still encourages me that people want to dive into a story of hope and, and believe that, that that can be possible. So with all that like positive data out there about, about fiction romance, I'm hoping that a publisher will go, yeah, uh, you know, especially because of the way of the writing process of this for us, not knowing what each other was writing, but having so much in sync and so much over the years where we had zero contact or zero way of finding each other. We were still living lives very much in parallel, very still connected, even yeah. though we had no contact. Now, Nancy's a lot more optimistic about getting published than I am. But that being said, I was, when we, because we, we swore we weren't going to read each other's versions ever. 
and this just sort of have it happen. But we, for editorial purpose, we actually did have to read. At the end. Yeah, at the end. We actually did have to read each other's things. And I just felt a great sense of accomplishment of, of getting that done. I thought it was, uh, I, even though I knew the story, <laughs> that's like egotistical of me to say, but I just th- I thought it was a really good read. And I was just really proud. I was really proud of both of us that we got this thing done. And it was that same feeling of like, as a couple, we worked on something, we got a project done, and it really did truly bring us closer together. And I think because we don't have kids, like that's the thing that, that's the project that most couples have is that they have kids and that's the thing they work on. That brings you together because we don't have kids, even though our relationship is very healthy and wonderful, it's always nice for us to have that sort of thing team building exercise <laughs> sounds like we're a corporation we got our team building exercise coming up this weekend guys uh, don't worry it's gonna be an outdoor picnic gonna be lots of hot dogs and cool slides. oh man the kids down am i gonna be peer- paired up with pj again? lots of trust falls but the, the thing is though that it makes you really vulnerable like yeah i do want to get our book published for the reasons that i just shared i do think it's a story of hope and there's a lot of travel and world stuff going on in it and it's it's fun but it still is vulnerable. It's like when, as an adult, when you say, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to try and do something and you make it vocal, you're always afraid of failure. And even when I shared that final edit with PJ and he hadn't read any of it, um, I actually did the last edit to thread our stories together in a more fast-paced way. I, was, I felt vulnerable sharing that with PJ. I mean, he's the person I'm closest to in the world. And it meant so much to me that he respected the work that I produced on both of our behalf. Yeah, because if you if you read, same on my side, if you read what I wrote, you're kind of like in I a nice way trying guy. to say, uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, there's some really good points, but it's kind well, of to punch it up, especially because we had such r- different writing styles. You know, it's I can't go and make PJ's writing style my writing style, and I can't change the way he worded things. Yeah, so, and the difficult thing for me as well is that, as Nancy knows, I'm uh, I'm functionally illiterate, so <laughs> actually writing things for me was quite difficult. There's a lot of phonics involved in it, little pictures of kitty cats and stuff. But and- the, the worst part was that I had spent so many hours, so it was a year and a half of us as a joint effort, and especially for PJ because his work hours are much more structured, so he was writing a lot on the weekend, and you know, he was really doing it to help me at the beginning. And then he got into that sort of creative side. But it was a, a year and a half of our efforts. And at the end, editing our two stories to blend this really, what I think is a unique picture of a love story, was a lot of time on my side, especially because you're rereading the same words and you become so close to the, the narrative. And so... PJ had had COVID and he was sort of at the end of like a 10 days of COVID. And all I asked him to do, all I asked him to do, not even to go through and correct anything or factually check or to look for typos. I said, take the reader experience. I'm leaving you. I've done two thirds of this. Here's a PDF. Can you just read it and let me know what you think? And And I so didn't want to do it. (laughs) Like you could tell. Oh yeah, you could tell. I don't have a poker face. So like I I'd just gotten over COVID. He was still lying on the sofa doing nothing. All I wanted to do was just like sort of lie on the couch that day, kind of do nothing. And yeah, and you were like, just read it, just read it, just read it. Yeah, okay, I'll read it. No, you weren't even that enthusiastic. No, I just, I don't, yeah, I probably didn't. I don't even, even think you anything. answered. I think you just grunted <laughs> or gave me that look. Okay, yeah. bye, go. So Get out of the house. So I was going down to row, and I, at the time, my mobile phone wasn't working. I had like a month where I didn't have a phone. And I was thinking of some sort of excuse that I could come up with to not read it. Yeah. Oh, COVID's flaring up again. <laughs> 
I can't read. So I came home from rowing and I walked in the door and PJ kind of runs up to the door and says, hey, did you get my text messages? I'm like, no, I didn't have a phone. And you were so excited about what you had read. It was really, really touching to me because as I said, I felt so vulnerable about him reading my, this part of my life and also just the, the editing skill. Yeah, I was really proud of what we'd both done. I mean, it sounds egotistical saying, I was really proud of the work I did. It was just really great work that I did. But it was a, I, I thought it was a really great story. And, and even though I knew how it ended, we'd both written it, I'd written it. It's, I, as I was reading that PDF, I was still, I was like, oh yeah, I want to get to the next page. And there was one point where I closed it by accident. I was like, no. And then I remembered how PDFs work and I could just click on it and it opens back up again. And, and also, you, you kind of knew the story. Yeah. You know how it worked out. There's no spoiler alert. No, but it was a book. great, to me, it was a great sense of accomplishment. I felt like we had done something and I thought it was successful because even though we had both written it, I'd written it, you'd written it, I knew it was going to happen. It was our story. I still found it a good read. I still was interested in reading it. Yeah. At the risk of sounding egotistical. <laughs> maybe we just sound like yeah, idiots talking. I don't know. Couple let's, of let's go back Paltrow's to our- <laughs> over here. I'm so fabulous. But I still want it published. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to this uh, to this chapter, which is "Does Living Alone Make You Feel Like a Grown Up?" Chapter ten. It's uh, it's one of the signs. <laughs> so, in the late fall, winter, early winter of 1993, I was about 24. PJ would have been 28, and we actually didn't know this until we started talking about it. But we were both living on our own for the first time, but for different reasons. I mean, I was living to teach in this in the middle of nowhere, Quebec. Um, I was teaching at a school of 2,500 students um, outside of Montreal. And so living on my own, also waiting for my pretend snuffleupagus boyfriend to come and live with me, this was the first time. And you were also? Yeah. And I, at that point, I'd been living with a friend of mine off and on for, God, I think about 10, 10 years or so. We were roommates off and on for about 10 years. And then she finally was getting a place of her own. I was like, eh, I guess I got to live on my own now. and. To be honest, living on my own was shocking because I come from a huge family and I'd never lived on my own. So it was, just, first of all, it was damn quiet. Um, and it was, it was, it was like, I, I, when I was in the apartment by myself, kept thinking, okay, well, it's pretty quiet around here. I need to do something. Uh, but at the same time, I'd gotten to that point where I just didn't want to live with people anymore. You just, I think for most of us, you just get to a point in your life where it's like, I don't want to see somebody else's dirty dishes. If I have dirty dishes, I don't want to be bothered by them. I just do need quiet every now and then. I don't want to hear somebody stumbling in at three in the morning drunk. Unless it's you. (laughs) Yeah, unless it's me making the noise. Yeah, you just get to that point where it's like, nah, not cool. want to be by myself. I I found it really lonely, and it was the beginning of a very low point of my life the, the following months for a host of reasons. But I, as I said, I didn't really have a choice. I didn't want to live with a family anymore. I was kind of felt that that whole French immersion thing was kind of over and done with. And the apartment that I moved into, um, <laughs> if I look at it now, I broke a mirror. And about two seconds later, I was, I was living in a, a studio kind of apartment. So I pulled out the bed where I was sleeping. I was making the bed and this butcher's knife fell out <laughs> from the bed and I was terrified because when I broke the mirror, of course, I thought, oh, you're going to have seven years of bad luck. And then the other side of my head was like, ah, oh, that's just crap. But then when I saw this, this knife, it was quite terrifying. And the school where I was working was a little bit 
dodgy. I mean, there was 2,500 students. There was a principal for each, uh, each of the five years of, of the school. The kids were all sniffing glue. And actually, there was across the field from the school was the one mall. And the kids in grade seven were soliciting, the girls were soliciting older men to give them you know what's in the back of rooms to make money to then buy glue. And at the school I was working, the, the sort of like ringleader, I guess you would call pimp, was only in grade nine. And, you know, you'd be teaching these kids and they'd all be like drooling on their desks and stuff from, from sniffing glue. It was a really tough area. They were all like shipped in from areas where I think there was a lot of um, drinking going on in the families and stuff. So when the butcher knife fell out from under my bed, my mattress, I was like really alarmed and you know and the police were involved and stuff but it was i was still on my own like i still had to sleep there and where i was living was not as salacious as that (laughs) i was had a uh it was a big uh, apartment building right at bluer and saint george so for those of you who don't know toronto that's kind of like right in the middle of uh downtown really nice one bedroom apartment big balcony but uh difficult (laughs) moving in because uh, Nancy and I are both people who don't like to ask for help. I don't know if that's a Canadian thing. <laughs> I just, or just us. So yeah, when I moved, it was the first time that I was moving on my own. Usually I was used to moving with roommates. You'd all help each other move. You'd rent a truck, whatever. So I didn't want to ask anybody for help. So I moved in myself. I had a uh, quite a big couch and a bed to like a you moved in. King bed. Wait, you moved in your you moved, moved in by yourself with a in, couch? Yes. I <laughs> so I <laughs> That work. I lived on the eighth floor and I moved a, it was at least three people could sit on that couch, moved a three person couch up eight floors all by myself. What? Yes. I literally just like tipped it out of the van, put it on my back and then did this sort of weird sort of balancing act going up the stairwell where I could like put it down, tip it up the stairwell, walk over it, drag it up to the next thing on the stairwell. Um, yeah. as I've said, if you could see PJ, you would imagine that he's not the guy that's doing like romance podcasts. <laughs> and now, now that I hear that story, I wonder why you have so many back issues and leg issues, but that, I've never heard of anyone moving a sofa by themselves. Maybe somebody listening has, but, um, the other thing I found about living on your own that was hard is that you can't, well, I didn't really have a lot of friends where I was living. Like I would have two weeks where I wouldn't talk to anybody because of school holidays and things like that. And you know, all you had was a, a mo- like a phone, like to call people. Yeah, I was always desperate to be doing something as well. I mean, at, at that point in my life, I, I unlike you, I still had a lot of friends. Yeah, but you were out were, all the yeah, time, right? Yeah, because yeah, I was doing stand up, so you're out at night. Uh, and I was still every now and then I'd work part time doing something like a temp job or a catering job or something. So yeah, my my apartment was literally basically just the place that I slept at. I wasn't there a lot, uh, sort of ruminating. For me, it was really different because it was the only place I really could go. And that's when I started to, I think, drink a little bit more. And when I've referred like in the past about these two personalities that I had, um, you know, this person that was uncomfortable drinking, I just want to also say that I was never drinking during the day or I've never drank, you know, in the morning when I woke up or when I was working and things like that, for me, drinking became something that after work um, or going out with friends became something that was just a companion, especially there because I was so isolated. And that's also when I started getting very intense with my journals. Those two things kind of go hand in hand when you're having a glass of wine and you're 
feeling quite confident and I was still believing that this guy was going to come and live with me. But um, yeah, it was, it was hard living on your own. It was something that I was so excited about, but as you said, like it's, it is a different experience Mm. living by yourself because for me, I couldn't run away from the things that were always sort of underneath the surface. And that was the beginning of all of that coming to coming out. And um, I, I think that's why I was willing to put up with somebody who had was obviously treating me with zero respect was because it, I wasn't respecting myself and I was just trying to hide all that stuff. But you and I kept in contact still. You were doing your stand-up um, and you were actually calling me and writing me a little yeah, bit we were more. Writing, writing letters uh, to each it, other. But it was strange because I had told you I had a boyfriend and I was like going to be living with somebody else. And Don't care. You clearly Don't didn't. Care. But also <laughs> what was happening, like your friends were getting married and having kids. And- yeah, that was the, for me, that was the beginning of wanting to be more adult-like. And that shift also does happen when you start living on your own because you are being an adult and not yet sort of living in kind of that and you, quasi yeah, you have all those responsibilities environment and yeah i started seeing my friends get married and I, that was the beginning my late 20s of just kind of wanting to be more settled and to try to be in just one long-term relationship with somebody but you weren't there so i was just trying to figure it out Let's take a look, uh, see what the journal said about what, where we were at in the kind of fall of 1993. All right. So this is the 30th of November, 1993. PJ called me again, Sunday morning at 10. It's Ooh, all two. 10 <laughs> on a Sunday. Was, back then, that was an early morning for me at 10. Oh, God. Considering I probably just went to bed at six in the morning. Uh, it's all too strange. I mean, I think he's making this huge effort because he knows I'm interested in someone else. It could be true. But what makes this situation more bizarre is his timing. Saturday night, he went over to visit a couple of his that just had a new baby. And then he calls. I truly believe he is coming to grasp with what he wants. He said he wanted to come visit me before Christmas. I said after. He then said, uh, he then offered to come out and see me. Is this PJ? The guy I've been trying so hard to win over the past few years. Uh, I don't want to see him. What? You don't want to see him? Anyway, uh, I don't want to see him, but I feel his reasonings are wrong. Uh, because of the guy in PEI. I don't want to see him or I do want to see him. He said, I, oh, sorry, I do want to see him. Sorry, yeah. you do want to see me. Oh, interesting. Uh, I do want to see him, but I feel his reasoning's wrong because of the guy in PEI. Uh, I always thought PJ was the only one I could love that intensely. But the guy in P- PEI showed me a new light. Maybe love is possible at various times in a lifetime. Intense, selfless, and what seems eternal love. Well, actually, it is eternal, but not necessarily signifying being together forever. It's all timing. There was so much of my existence spent on thinking and believing PJ and I would be together. He was the one. Even recently knowing that we were going to be together, even if it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And I would have settled for that. But his call on Sunday has really thrown me for a loop. His thinking of the future. And I don't know if I can trust him. Boom, boom, boom. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share comments on our social media. And remember, we want to hear your inspiring love stories, so get in touch. This podcast is a complimentary project to Nancy and PJ Learn French, a manuscript currently being shopped to publishers by our literary agent, Wendy York. Thanks to Isaac, Alyssa, and Dustin at Life Tough Media. In our next episode, rejected and alone living near Montreal, Nancy's weight issues are resurfacing, while PJ seems to be a rising star in Toronto.